Welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast, where we share the latest tips, tactics, and strategies for scaling your practice from the top experts in the world of growing law firms. Are you ready to take your practice to the next level? Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host as always, Jan Roos, and I am here with a solo pod on one of my favorite topics, which is scaling sales organizations. And I am going to use the S word here, even though some of you guys might want to refer to this as intake or consultations or that sort of thing. But one of the most important steps that any business has to cross on the road to seven figures is getting out of the driver's seat when it comes to the revenue that's being generated for your law practice. And I want to specify too, this is generally a problem that's going to crop up around the high six figure to low seven figure and annual revenue mark. A lot of times people will think about doing this the day after they have their first consultation, especially their first consultation after uh, you know, switching to a new channel. But the reality is that if you're trying to scale this earlier than you absolutely have to, it's going to be very, very difficult to afford not only in time, but also opportunity costs, which is something I'm going to get into some more depth later. But in general, if you're at the place where the biggest problem in your business is not having enough manpower to cover consultations, you have what is uh, referred to commonly as a champagne problem. So if that's where you're at, then this episode is going to be perfect for you. But I also think it's going to be good if that's somewhere that you want to go. So even if you're solo, if you did start yesterday, this is a bridge you're going to eventually have to cross if you are on the road to seven-figure Candyland, right? So anyways, let's kind of get started off with the why here. So why would you want to get out of sales? And I will first say that it is generally a good position to stay to as long as possible. And again, um, the cost being a huge factor, which I'll get into in a little bit. Um, but uh, sales is keeping away from other things too. So especially when you're at that level, every hour that you spend in sales is an hour that you're not focusing on higher level stuff. And depending on what your strengths are as an entrepreneur, this can be stuff like partnerships. This can be stuff like setting vision for the company. This can be stuff like improving your product or processes or getting a key hire on board. These are all super, super high level things that is a little bit harder for the CEO to delegate. So if you're in a situation where you can delegate sales, that'll free you up time to do more of those things too. It's also going to be a good thing to do if you are the bottleneck for the sum total of all the marketing that you're doing. And one of the things we see, and you know, we're predominantly working with estate planning firms at this point, this is typically when we end up maxing out digital and we have to start moving towards channels like in-person seminars. Um, so you know, if you have a situation, uh, this is this is a pretty good one, fresh out of our mind. Uh, we had a firm that ended up running a seminar. They ended up generating thirty consults on one lunch and one dinner event. So you do the math on what the next couple of weeks look like for that attorney, and you know it's not going to be something that you can easily double or 10x, right? So, you know, once you get the loop closed, that's fantastic. Again, going back to the champagne problems, but you have to have the situation where if you want to keep growing, you might be the limiting factor on that. So basically, you know, you're locked in on two levels, really. So your revenue could be capped at the most that you can sustain doing the consultations yourself. And then on the second level, your trajectory might be capped because you don't have the strategic bandwidth to change 
where you're at, right? And ultimately, when you're talking about getting the higher echelons of seven figures, even past eight figures, we need to really start thinking about what's going to differentiate you as, as far as your service, right? Because you know, chances are you're going to have to have some unique stuff in place. And it's very hard to come up with those things when you're absolutely rammed from sales calls back to back. You get the idea, right? And the last reason, again, this shouldn't be the primary directive, but it also doesn't hurt to get out of sales from a lifestyle perspective. I remember when we ended up crossing this bridge a little while ago, the money feels very, very different when you're not the person who collects the check. And I hope it's something that every single person who is invested in growing their practice is going to feel someday. It's just a really, really good place to be. But again, don't make it the primary reason, right? You know, ultimately, this should be something that you have to do out of need, not out of want. So anyways, um, let's go ahead and get started. I've got three major things that I want to go over and why this is a difficult bridge to cross for most people, right? So the first thing is that it is very expensive. It's very expensive to delegate sales. And there's two reasons for this. One is that people think about the hard costs associated, right? What's it going to take for me to hire an attorney under me? What's it going to take for somebody who's qualified to get trained up? How much money do I have to put out in terms of you know, dangling some sort of a bonus or an origination fee or something like that in order to have somebody qualified that can handle these consultations? But what people really should be paying attention to is the opportunity cost. So the truth is it takes time to ramp up salespeople. And in terms of the revenue that is not being closed while that person's ramping up, that often will dwarf the amount of investment that's being made in the person itself. So the most expensive thing to have is a salesperson that is not up to their performance in terms of capacity. Now, the other thing that kind of makes this really, really expensive potentially is that when we're talking about somebody that's at the high six or seven figures, this sort of presupposes that we've moved on from the referral-based stage of their marketing, right? For two reasons. One, it's really hard to get a referral and pawn somebody off if what they're buying is you. And that's a stage that you've probably crossed at a much lower revenue level if you've gotten to the point where you're you know, knocking on the door of seven figures. But also to get the amount of uh, volume that can repeatedly fill your calendar, it's very, very, very difficult to do that on a strictly referral basis. And I know there are people that have done it, but it is definitely not the standard as far as the firms that we've spoken to uh, across the country, right? And the last thing too is, you know, I don't want to diminish the talent as a factor of cost, but that's also a cost that we have to keep in mind, right? You know, we're in a crazy market for the uh, employee rate. And uh, I, I want to do a separate episode on, on the potential of doing this without an attorney, but assuming you do want to go the you know conventional route, call this a consultation, have somebody dispensing legal advice, they have to be a JD, uh, most bars. But basically, you know, we're talking to somebody who, who can close 75 minimum, you know, we're probably talking 100, 150 for somebody in the climate that we're looking at today, right? Non-attorney closers are interesting. Shout out to uh, How to Manage. I know they've had a fantastic program with that for a while. We've seen some people have some great success with that. But still, even having somebody quality, good closers know they're worth at the end of the day too. So it is a factor as well. So one reason why people have a trouble with this is that it's expensive. The second thing that I don't really see getting discussed that much, definitely not in legal. Um, the first place I kind of encountered this was in the startup world, specifically looking at SaaS sales. And um, SaaS software as a service, uh, they have a really, really interesting culture around sales. And there's a lot of uh, people who run consultancies and that sort of thing. So there's actually a fantastic amount of con uh, content around this. And where you can find this uh, applicable to other things too, it's always kind of good to take some of these gems from other uh, verticals. But um, anyways, one of the things they talk about in startup marketing is the founder effect. And the founder effect is a different level of conviction that the founder of a business is going to have than even a top closer, right? So in general, 
up until uh, an attorney is, is, or sorry, up until your closer is going to be ramped up, you're probably going to do a lot better than them. And that kind of makes that opportunity cost grow the most, right? In a lot of ways too, I do end up hopping on sales calls every now and then too, mostly just kind of as a, a matter of example, but I usually can just, you know, wake up, roll out of bed and hit a pretty, pretty high close rate, even if I haven't been in practice. Your top closers will get to that rate over time, and especially when they've had the time to invest and provided that you have everything in place to make sure that their their uh, plate's full and they're getting the reps in, and which is you know something we'll talk about as a subsequent podcast. But up until that point, we have to reasonably expect that they're going to do uh, probably cap out on a short enough time frame, probably about eighty percent of what you're capable of. So if your close rate's fifty percent, you should expect your uh, your closer to be you know no more than forty percent, right? And the other thing too is that basically when there's expectations that are built around you know some rock star closer who's going to just make money rain from the sky uh, doesn't take this stuff into consideration too and even if you don't have a really high opinion of yourself as a closer you do have something that a lot of people don't realize which is when you're intimately like close to the product you're going to speak with more conviction than somebody who can't know it right and that's just part of the thing that that uh, is in the founder effect you never go into a call not doubting the strength of your business and assuming you do have confidence in the business, which you should if you're trying to market. But also, there's no question that you can be asked that you're going to be uh, out on a limb for because you pretty much created the product, especially if you're the person who started the business, right? So those things are what contribute to the founder effect, even if you're not necessarily the most classic sales, natural sales person, right? But a lot of the times too, people have what may be actually really, really strong closers, but they're being held to a standard that is impossible for them to reach in the short term. So that is the second reason why it's really, really tough to uh, get rid of sales. And the last thing is that I want to uh, kind of stress that sales of the things that I've managed personally, I think their sales is one of the hardest things to manage. And there's a lot of stuff that really goes into it that isn't the same as running a bookkeeping or some, you know, more document prep, uh, color by numbers, uh, SOP type stuff, because there's a lot of really different factors to it. One of the things that's the toughest for sales is that there's really no standardized outcome, right? You can look at the numbers, you can see what the, you know, the inputs are, but in terms of the outcomes, you know, if you wanted to map out all the possibilities of how an hour long consultation can go, it's infinite. There's so many permutations of it that it can be really, really hard. So it's really tough too, because basically, you know, you also have ambiguous reasons. Why did you do for this instead of that? Why did you use this close instead of prevent this objection away before? So the other thing too, is that there's really no uh, justification for these things too which makes it extremely frustrating when you have a situation where the person that you've hired doesn't have a style that is close to your style. So if you have a, and again, I haven't really created any sort of uh, categorization, but so basically if you have somebody who might be a stronger force of personality, you know, if you're using the disc assessment, this is somebody who's got more of a dominant closing style and you're more of an influence style person, you might be biting your nails, listening to one of these call recordings or being in the room and then you're like, damn, I, I would never have asked that question. That is so ballsy. <laughs> but on the flip side, you could be on the other way too, and then just not really understand why people are doing it. So, and then, you know, ultimately the advice, which is really, really tough to do, unless you have a deep understanding of where things are at, it's very, very hard to coach people in something that you don't really know in terms of styles, right? So it's like, I would say somebody who's good at sales or good at any skill, to be honest, somebody who's good can teach how they do things, but it takes a very, very advanced level to teach how somebody else might do things. Because in order to do that, you really have to understand the principles 
behind why somebody will say yes or no, not just here, here's how I've done it in the past, right? So it gets really, really tough, right? Because you can have different expectations. You know, it's emotionally challenging to let go of something uh, that is so variable, right? Because if you see something and you're, you're not really screwed in and you haven't really steeled yourself to the possibility this could be different, then it really sucks. And especially when you compound it with these other things, right? The fact that, you know, any single time somebody walks out of the office and it's a no, that could be a check for $5,000 that you didn't collect. It gets really, really nerve wracking. You need gonads of brass to be able to really do this. It's, it's very, very hard. And the other thing too, is that we have the situation where it's tough for the rep right? Or, um, you know, the person who ends up closing, if it ends up being a junior attorney or something like that. So it's like, you know, you have to not only understand how to control your own emotions, you have to be able to control their emotions. And in order to do that, it takes a lot of experience and being able to do things in a way. So it's just like, you know, the leadership requirements for running a sales team, I think are some of the most emotionally challenging management teams that you could possibly run. But anyways, the good news is that if you've been in the situation where you've been avoiding delegating this for a long enough time, chances are that you're going to be in a better position understanding it. You know, there's some people who will level up immediately the moment that they have a situation where there's calendar full, they get somebody the day after. But, you know, if this is something you've been hitting the snooze on for a year, two years, five years, you're actually in a much better place to potentially be a manager of this because you'll have had a deeper understanding of what it actually means to close these consultations, right? So anyways, I'll close that with that. So the, the three reasons why it's really, really hard to delegate sales, and um, there will be some <laughs> resolution that's moving forward. It's expensive. We have to deal with the founder effect, and it is tough to manage. But like I said, there are solutions for all these different things. I don't want to make this a doom and gloom episode. So the next episode that I want to record is how to de-risk potentially minimizing the cost of hiring sales. So I will get to you guys next week on that. That will be Tuesday at 8 a.m. on the Law Firm Growth Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jan Roos, and uh, go get some clothes out there. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Law Firm Growth Podcast. For show notes, free resources, and more, head on over to casefuel.com slash podcast. Looking forward to catching up on the next episode.